Hi everyone, my name's Shawnee and this is Lola's Scotland Podcast. so much for listening you can find lola scotland on all of the socials so please if you have instagram or twitter or anything like that can you pop in lola scotland all one word you can comment on the photos that i'll be uploading every week with the episodes so you'll get to see the people that we're talking about and things like that some of the photos that i found are so cool and interesting so i would totally recommend going and checking them out I have always been a fan of true crime. I love watching documentaries and reading books on the subject. And I've recently got into podcasting over the last year, listening to loads of different types of podcasts, which is super, super exciting. I love listening to all the different types of podcasts, especially the true crime ones. They are the ones that I tend to listen to on my way to work or last thing at night or maybe like when I'm doing something in the house and I've just got it playing in the background I decided to venture out and do my own because this is pretty much what I've done at uni was audio editing and recording things like that and I thought you know why not put those skills to use and do something that I would be pretty excited about every week to do and on a subject that I've got a lot of interest in already as well. So that's how we've kind of got to this time where we're now recording our first episode which by the way had taken so much time because there's so much trial and error in this and it's so great to think oh yeah let's just start a new hobby and do something that I've probably not done in about 10 years as well so everything has changed so bear with me as well it might not be the top flight of podcasts but we will get there together. I hope you really enjoy this and tune in every week for more episodes and different episodes on different things as well because I just feel like a lot of Scotland history and stories and things that have happened here they don't get like widely publicised across the whole world. Some things people have heard of of course but there's loads and loads and loads of documentaries and podcasts, Google searches for things that have happened in like America or even England and things like that but there's not like a huge amount of coverage on what happens or has happened in Scotland so I thought you know what better place to air out all the dirty laundry really for Scotland and that's pretty much it so let's get started on our first episode who is serial killer Archibald Thomas Hall also known as Roy Fontaine, also known as the Monster Butler, also known as the Killer Butler. He had many aliases to go by and obviously the last two were given by the media at the time which was quite high coverage on this. He was from Scotland, born in Scotland. He was born in Glasgow on the 17th of July 1924 
He became known as the Killer Butler or Monster Butler after committing crimes of theft and murder while working in the service to the British aristocrats. He was described as being a bit of a misfit when he was growing up. Don't think he came from... No, he definitely didn't come from a very rich background. He grew up in Partick in Glasgow, which at the time was one of the most deprived areas in Europe. Very poverty-stricken. And he had a very unhappy home life with his half-brother, Donald Hall, as well, who you'll find out a wee bit more about at the end of the story. At the time of his death, he was the oldest serving person serving a whole life tariff in prison. In the early life, he committed petty crimes such as theft, some reported as young as 15. Some cons reported at this time were to do with a Red Cross tin, so he's decided that he will um, collect money for the Red Cross. He has taken two tins from them. He has one tin for a grush that we call, so just like spare change coins. And he has one tin for any notes that anyone wants to hand in. The coin tin goes back to the Red Cross and the notes tin goes into his pocket. He served his first prison sentence up until the age of 17. When he was released from prison, he decided to take his profits from like the small-time robberies, the thieving, the stealing, moved from Scotland to London. He integrated himself into the gay scene in London, quite big in Soho, and he started pulling off small-time cons around this area. London, Soho was rife at this time with like really big gangs of the day, like the craze, Richardson's and loads others as well. So he slowly graduated his cons up a level every time with more people that he met and more ideas that he got and in the right criminal world that he was living in at the time. He started posing as an aristocrat himself, walking around London from Scotland, like portrayed being wealthy so that he could pull off more elaborate cons. And he would also pose as a wealthy American as well to pull off these cons. He served another jail sentence for attempting to sell jewellery in London, which he'd stolen in Scotland. During his sentence, he studied antiques and he learned more about etiquette and aristocracy, as well as taking elocution lessons to try and soften his really harsh Scottish accent. Partick, Glasgow, their accent is definitely a bit more harsh. If I mean, it's perfectly fine for me to understand, obviously, because I'm Scottish and I grew up in Glasgow as well. So in that sense, it, it actually doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like a very harsh accent, but to the rest of the world, aye, it definitely does. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that half the people around the world, if they were to listen to this podcast, would probably think that I sounded quite angry half the time I talked, or maybe I talked too fast, or they can't understand, but I really try when I'm doing this podcast to slow down and enunciate, which is pretty hard when you start getting in the flow of it as well. But anyway, this is what Archibald decided to do for himself, was try and dull down his accent by taking these elocution lessons, presumably to enhance his chances of work when he was released from jail or his chances of pulling off bigger cons 
it's less likely to bring suspicion on him if he doesn't sound very harsh or abrupt or if he sounds a bit more posh. And that's just the world that we live in even today as well. So you can understand why he done it. Upon his release, he began using the name Roy Fontaine. He was a big Hollywood fan and he was, one of his idols was Joan Fontaine. So presumably this is where he got the inspiration for his new alias. He worked as a butler, occasionally returned to prison for further jail thieves and he also got married and divorced in this time as well. In 1975, he returned to Scotland and took up a job with Margaret Hudson, who was also called Peggy. She was a dowager, widow of Sir Austin Hudson, first baronet, a Conservative Member of Parliament. This was in Kirkleton House, Dumfrieshire, and he took the job as butler. He liked his job and his employer and never stole anything to his no- to our knowledge from Peggy. It was said that he had originally planned to steal from Peggy, but because he had such a good relationship with him, she he basically had the run of the house and she didn't really demand too much of him as long as he was doing his duties that she needed to be completed, then he was pretty much free to roam about the house as if it was his own. So that was quite good for Roy being the the kind of guy that he was he wanted this kind of lifestyle that is what he wanted in his life was to be respected and live in a lavish lifestyle and Peggy was basically giving him that without having to do much work for it so he was quite settled in his role with Peggy it was also said by two former employees of Peggy as well in an interview that he was kind of pulling the wool off of Peggy's eyes as well, in a sense. They said a story about how they had been going out for drinks all the time on different occasions. And then on one occasion, Roy and the two, the couple that were working there also had went out for dinner. And it was about like seven o'clock at night and they were saying, oh, right, come on, Roy, you need to get back up the road because Peggy will be wanting her dinner out soon, which no matter what was always served at 8.15 sharp in Peggy's house. So Roy would have had to be there to prep for dinner and service and things like that. So they were getting a bit worried on time for him to get back up. And he was like, nah, 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 guys, it's absolutely fine. Like, I've got it handled. We've got another hour because I set all the clocks in the house back an hour. So basically Peggy thinks it's six o'clock right now and I'll get up the road and it'll be eight o'clock, but she'll think it's six, seven o'clock. So I'll have plenty of time, so it's fine. So, I mean, just cheeky way things like that, you think, all right, okay, cool. <laughs> One of his friends, David Wright, they were former lovers apparently as well. And they had met in jail or they had met before jail, but they had served together in prison, one or the other. There's two different stories that go around. And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. He was given a job as the estate's gamekeeper in 1977. The two of them had an altercation one night when Wright stole some of Lady Hudson's jewellery. 
and Paul wasn't happy about this at all. He didn't want Wright to steal from Peggy because he had a good thing going with Peggy. And if Wright got caught stealing the rings, then it means that there could be suspicion brought on Hall. And obviously he was going by Roy Fontaine at the time. And if the police showed up to try and investigate, his world could come tumbling down and essentially and he wasn't up for it. Wright then threatened Hall and told him not to tell Peggy or make him give the rings back because if he did then he would tell Peggy exactly all about Hall's past and his true name and all of his criminal goings on before and he would lose his job. Obviously Hall's not happy about this at all because he doesn't like getting pushed around. He's the kind of guy that is wanting to be in charge. He doesn't want someone to have anything hanging over him. So he's not happy at all. One night after the argument, Roy had went to his bed. David Wright had went out to the local pub. It was said that he got like really, really intoxicated. He came home that night. Now, Bearing in mind Peggy was away as well at this time, so this makes more sense. She was away on a holiday. David Wright came home. Archibald Hall was in his bed. David Wright has a gun and takes it up to Archibald's room. He bangs open the door and fires a shot towards Archie. Archie wakes up was not shot the bullet had went into the bed frame so it had missed him but not by a lot archie's raging at this point he's so unhappy he gets up he grabs a gun off of right he starts shouting at him and yeah they have another altercation he manages to get the gun off him he manages to calm right down he says that he basically gets into his mind and makes right think that everything's all right the two of them then go to bed together and it it all seems like everything's been made up, everything's happy again, they're friends. The next morning, Paul takes right out shooting, he says to him, as like a makeup, why don't you come with me, we'll go shooting for rabbits. It was obviously a, a trick coming from Hall and but he was coming across as it being like an amicable solution to both of them get out what they need to get out by going and shooting rabbits and it's a very manly thing to do and obviously it was a very big thing at the time that it was like a sport or a hobby for people to go out and shoot lots of different things so very manly like let's make up and let's go shoot and that's us like let's be friends again and this is how we do it so Ray accepts it and decides to go on this hunting trip with Hall once out in the fields Archibald was very calculating he counted every shot that Wright took until he knew that his gun barrel would be empty he then turned round and shot Wright in the head he took his body down and buried him next to the stream in Kirkleton House grounds. He didn't exactly bury him though. He put him down at the side of the stream, presumably because that's as far as he could drag the body as well. He covered him in lots of foliage, leaves, rocks, that kind of thing. But then what he decided to do for the, la- like the next 
however long it was that he was at Kirkcolton House. He went down every day, usually on the premise of taking the dog for a walk, and he would add more to the body and he would move things around and he would make sure that it didn't look staged in any way because he realised that one time when he walked down, presumably the day after that this happened, that the body had been placed in a way that would be so obvious and it looked so artificial and unnatural. So every day we'd add a little bit more foliage, move something around, kick up the mud a bit and make sure that it just looked like something more natural, basically. A short time after this, Lady Hudson finally discovered about Archie's criminal past. She had received a phone call from someone anonymously, basically filling him in on how Roy Fontaine was actually Archibald Hall and everything that he'd done and he'd been to jail and blah, blah, blah. So basically, Peggy was like, well, you can't work for me anymore, but she didn't have any complaints over Archie's work at the time. So she parted ways with him but gave him three months wages. So that was really nice on Peggy's behalf, obviously. She didn't have to do that, but she she did. So, I mean, nice enough for her. He then moved again and moved to London in 1977. He combined more thieving and racketeering with working as a butler to 82-year-old Walter Scott Elliot, a 60-year-old wife, Dorothy Scott Elliot. Scott Elliot had been Labour MP for Arkington from 1945 to 1950 and was really wealthy, even taken out the MP part as he was a Scottish aristocrat, very wealthy family background. On December 8th, 1977, Hall had been drinking with a former girlfriend, Irish barmaid Mary Coggle. Coggle was also the housekeeper for the Scott Elliots. So she introduced Hall to a small time crook called Michael Kittle. Kittle was super small town, he had only just petty theft, he came from a broken childhood, he grew up in care, he then joined the army only to be dishonourably discharged because of thieving and robbery that he committed then. He moved around from doll's house to doll's house, regularly arrested for petty crimes. He also had two failed marriages and a daughter as well, but these marriages failed because he was actually gay. Kittle thought all of his Christmases came at once when he met Hall. He was in total awe of him and totally ecstatic to be helping him in this main robbery plan that Hall had against the Scott Elliots. Kittle was actually wanted for robbery at the time against his employer, which was a pub London. Hall was super big time compared to Kittle and he was basically taking Kittle under his wing. They started stealing gradually from the Scott Elliots, but Hall's big plan was to rob the couple of most of their money and retire on it. One night when Hall and Kittle were discussing plans and trying to come up with what was going to happen with this big con that they were trying to pull off against the Scott Elliot, Kittle had came over to Scott Elliot's house with Hall believing that both of them were out. Um, no, that wasn't that both of them were out. It was actually that Mr. Scott Elliot was quite unwell at the time so he was in his bed and he believed 
Dorothy to be out for the night with friends so she wasn't going to be back for a while. Unfortunately for Hall, when they was taking it all about the house, Dorothy found them and walked in basically a plan for the robbery. So Kittle then started his own career as a murderer when he immediately put a pillow over her mouth and suffocated her. When Walter woke up, he obviously noticed his wife's disappearance, went to Hall, asked him where she should, where was she. Hall told him that she had gone to Scotland. This had already been pre-planned between Walter and Dorothy, where they were already originally planning a trip to Aberdeen. So Hall managed to persuade him that she had already left and he was to follow and Hall was to take him to Dorothy and Aberdeen. Paul plied Mr Scott Elliot with drugged whiskey and put his body of Dorothy, put Dorothy's body into the boot of the car. Coggle then got dressed up in a wig and a mink coat to look like Mrs Scott Elliot, which the drug Mr Scott Elliot didn't realise at the time, obviously because he was super drugged and he just knew that that possibly be his wife. Either way, he wasn't in any fit state to do anything about it. They then visited all the banks that the couple's money were linked to to draw out the money. They then drove a three-day journey up to Scotland, stopping at pubs and hotels along the way. This was the four of them. This was Kittle, Hall, drugged Mr Scott Elliot, Coggle dressed up as Mrs Scott Elliot, and then obviously... Mrs Scott Elliot in the boot of the car, driving about the countryside in Scotland for three whole days. Definitely not inconspicuous in any way. When they got to Scotland, they buried Dorothy in Brackle, Perthshire. They strangled and bet her sedated husband with a shovel and buried him nearby woods in Tomich, Invernessshire. When they were walking away, they heard the moans coming from Mr Scott Elliot. Hall sent Kittle back to finish him off with the shovel. Hall stood on his throat and crushed his windpipe. This was only three months after the David Wright murder as well. Their next victim would be Coggle, who had taken to wearing Dorothy's expensive clothes and jewellery and was drawing way too much attention to herself. After she refused to dispose of the fur coat, which was obviously potentially incriminating evidence, Hall and Kittle killed her by smashing her head in with a poker while she was in the arms of Kittle. Dealing with his problems the only way he knew how. Murder. They then left this body in a stream near Middle Bay in Dumfrieshire, where she was discovered on the 25th of December 1977 by a shepherd. At this point, the police had no leads. Hall rented a holiday home in Cumbria and spent a lot of time at the local pubs. They said that he was selling antiques in the village and the village people just accepted that. He was smart, well-dressed. He passed off the allure of being a businessman, antiques dealer. Kittle looked less presentable and a bit more questionable, but obviously because he was with Hall, they kind of passed off as being his apprentice. The final victim of the pair would be Hall's half-brother, Donald. Alleged paedophile, Hall absolutely hated his brother because of 
these alleged crimes that he had done. I say alleged because there's not much proof on it. It's just Hall saying that his brother was a paedophile and that's the reason why he hated him. Hall and Kittle found Donald at the rented holiday home in Cumbria and they were basically telling him that they were going to pull off the this big bank robbery and it was going to be a tie-up job which they had never done before so they basically tricked him into letting them practice on him. Once Donald was tied up, Hall used chloroform to incapacitate him before drowning him in the bath. Though some experts say that the chloroform would have definitely killed Donald before he even went to the bath. He has been reported as the first chloroform murder in Britain. They then decided to travel around with Donald's body in the boot of the car four days again around Scotland, checking in at pubs and hotels and it was just a shockingly bad effort to dispose of a body which ultimately led to Hall and Kittle's downfall. Hall made Kittle replace the car's number plates which contained three nines because he believed it was unlucky. This meant that the tax disc and the number plate didn't match on the car. The wintry weather made driving really hazardous and so when they reached North Berwick and East Lothian they decided to check into the Blenheim Hotel on the north side of the high street overnight basically to lessen their chances of being in an accident. However, the shifty movements of Hall and Kittle made the hotelier really suspicious and he was pretty much worried that they were planning on checking in for their stay and boosting in the morning and not paying for their stay. So he called the local police as a precaution. When the police arrived, they realised that the tax desk and the number plate didn't match and took Kittle and Hall in for questioning. When they took the car to the police station, which by the way was only 200 yards away and on the same side of the street from the hotel, they basically made the discovery of Donald's body in the boot. Kittle was arrested but Hall escaped through the toilet window. He was captured by police that had a roadblock out when they were looking for him in nearby Wallyford on the 16th of January 1978. The police made the connection between Hall's car and the registration number of a vehicle noted by a suspicious antiques dealer in Newcastle. Basically this antiques dealer had reported this car license plate to the police as two men had came in offering china and silverware at a price way below its true value. So this made it really suspicious and therefore they reported it to the police. The police then traced the car back to Scott Elliott's address in London and found the apartment to be robbed and many of the valuables splattered with blood, things like that. This also linked the murder of Coggle whose body had already been found on the 25th of December because obviously Coggle was the housekeeper for Scott Elliott. The police had evidence that three men, including a drugged Scott Elliott and a woman, had stayed at a Scottish hotel for one night but the following night only two men, Hall and Kittle, had returned. Everything's basically getting tied up together. Hall tried and failed to commit suicide while in custody before revealing the whereabouts of the three buried victims. In the deep snow and bitterly cold winter of Scotland and with loads of media watching, the police teams dug up bodies of David Wright, Walter and Dorothy Scott Elliott. They then formally charged Hall and Kittle with five murders. 
Paul was convicted at the courts in London and in Edinburgh for four murders. The murder of Dorothy Scott Elliot was ordered to lie on file and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. In Scotland, it was recommended that he serve a minimum of 15 years and in England, the judge handed down a recommendation that he never be released. Kittle was given life imprisonment for three murders with no recommended minimum in Scotland and a 15-year minimum in England. Police said in evidence that Kittle was really fortunate to be able to go on trial and be alive as Hall had admitted to planning on killing Kittle that night before he was arrested. Again, Hall tying up the loose end. He wants to retire on the money. He doesn't want anyone that could hinder his plans of retirement. Kittle had served his uses and was no longer of use. So he was planning on getting rid of them. Throughout his time in prison, he sent a few letters to newspapers and other publications. One was published in 1995 by The Observer and it was basically Hall writing a letter in which he requested the right to die. He made numerous unsuccessful suicide attempts while in prison. He also received um, released. He also released a book of memoirs called *A Perfect Gentleman* in 1999. So, if you want to have a read through that, you can. But trust me, I read some of it, and it's very exaggerated and probably needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. He reported to say in this memoir that death would be his relief. He did eventually die of a stroke in Kingston Prison, Portsmouth in 2002 at the age of 78. There was a film planned in 2011 but it never happened due to lack of funding. There's loads of videos on YouTube about Archibald Hall and books on Amazon as well so if you guys want to read in a bit more and maybe see a wee bit more detail I would recommend finding out a little bit more about his time in Peggy's house because some like crazy stuff happened there in a book that I read by Hall um, the one that's called A Perfect Gentleman he had an excerpt from that that basically said that she was like using him for sex and things like that even though she knew he was gay and Hall and Wright used to lay out at the pool naked and she would watch them and loads of these different stories as well which I didn't really find relevant to the story to have it in at the time but if you want to read a bit more about like the crazy stuff that used to happen in Peggy's house then read his memoirs but again I would take whatever he said with a pinch of salt because he was known to be a bit of a exaggerator then there's loads of other words that you could use as well but yeah that's the story of Archibald Hall and his spee of killings now at the time it was really popular in the media but probably didn't get as much notoriety as it probably should have and that's probably twofold reason one was the Yorkshire Ripper murders were happening around about this time as well and obviously that was super well known that he I think this is just off memory and I've not researched this at all but I believe he had like more than 12 victims and they were all random people in the society as well I think it maybe started off with prostitutes and things like that but 
it was not people that this like the Yorkshire Ripper didn't kill people that he knew it, it was like the whole public was scared of him and it created a lot of anxiety with people at the time whereas Archibald Hall murders it was like no one knew about them until he was caught and then he was caught so therefore it's there's people are safe because he's already caught yes he killed five people but when he was killing five people no one knew that he had been the person killing those people and he was a serial killer also he only killed people that he knew he only killed people that were no longer of value to him so again it wasn't like average joe public were in any way in danger from archibald hall unless you got on the wrong side of him or you were a danger to him or you were no longer useful to him and that's pretty much it so yeah i think it creates a little bit of a different fear when it's you know that it might not come on your doorstep basically as some serial killers like you hear the word serial killer and there's a bit of fear but with Archie Hall I don't really find that fear I just find it very sad that he had to go that far to kill these to get what he wants it was greed basically greed yes so that's Archibald Hall the monster butler I hope you enjoyed this one and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.